0: To Matthew chapter 1. Today I'm going to be handling the scriptures a little different than usual. So I'm just going to read a portion of it for now and as we move through the exposition this morning we will look at various passages in the first few chapters of Matthew. But I want to bring your attention shortly to the first few verses of the book of Matthew, chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. And Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. Amen. There is a
1: name I love to hear. I love to sing his praises, it sounds just like music in my ear. The Just blood.
0: afternoon, as we began to look at the gospel according to Matthew, we are going to be starting a series of lessons on Jesus. This series is called Jesus, Making, Mind, and Ministry. In other words, the making of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, and his ministry. Amen. And today's lesson will be entitled, A Life on Purpose. A Life on Purpose. Now, when we read our scriptures today, we were looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but many times when I'm reading the Gospels or I'm reading Old Testament scriptures that talk about genealogies. I try to rush through them because we're just looking at so many names and a lot of the names we don't even know. And so we're just rushing through the genealogy trying to get to something that we would consider interesting. Amen. Amen. But I contend today that there are some very interesting things found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amen. When we look at our text here, which we read a small version, a small portion of that text of Matthew verses, Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, I saw some things in this text that brought me to this conclusion. And that is that past failures are not indicators of future results. Past failures are not indicators of future results. As we look at this genealogy, we're going to look at the biography of a few of the people here. Just a little portion of their biography to see what I mean about past failures not being indicators of future results. The first person we look at here in this genealogy is Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. But the daughter-in-law in in Judah was impatient with her father-in-law and played a trick on him. She was alongside the road covered, and she played the role of the harlot. And Judah fell prey to the same thing because he had sexual relationships with the harlot. So, here in the genealogy of Jesus, we have some what we might call despicable scenes. Amen. But even in that, God had a plan for them that would end in a Savior. Their past failures was not indicative of the future's results. And I just want to say right now as we talk about some of these, that your past failures are not either. We were birthed in sin. Sin is a part of our lives. We fail, we are offended, and we offend others. Sometimes we even believe that we're right in our offense. But it's offense nonetheless. But we live amongst a human condition to where there will be offense. You will get tired and you will say things that you really didn't mean to say. You will not do what you should have done for somebody else, or you will do to others what you shouldn't have done. That's just part of the human condition. But the human condition, when you're in Jesus, does not indicate what your future result will be. Because we know that God, when he looks at our account, he sees us righteous. Everyone who has named the name Jesus and has put their trust and dependence in him, even though we yet sin, God sees us for who we are going to be, not who we are. God sees everything all at once. And though we are not right, though we're not doing everything right when we should, God has counted us righteous because of the faith that we've put in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So our past... And our current, the things that we do today, is not indicative of our future. So looking at this text, comes Rahab. Rahab wasn't even an Israelite. Rahab was a Canaanite. And I don't know for my Bible study students and those who read the word diligently, there was a time when God told the people of Israel to do what to the Canaanites? To destroy them all. But they didn't do what the Lord said do. They disobeyed. But yet the Lord used their lemons as lemonade. Now here is a Canaanite woman who should have been dead because God commanded his people to do so. Their generation should have been cut off. But even in their disobedience, God brought out some good things. Because the story of Rahab is that she was also a harlot. But even in her role as a harlot, there was a time in which she exhibited faith. She exhibited faith in God when she hid the spies and sent them the other way. She only did that because she believed in their God. And because of her righteous action, even though her role was unrighteous, God blessed her to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ and be named in a place that she should not have been found. She should not have been found in the genealogy of Christ of the Israelites, but she found her place there because of a righteous deed which shows us that God has the ability to ingraft those who are without to make them within. Everybody under the sound of my voice plays part in this, that we are from the outside, we are Gentiles, but yet God, because of his mercy and his grace, has sent his word and his gospel to us that we might receive the word of God and be grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. He didn't have to do it, but he did it because he wanted to. The dogs, they call them, the Gentiles, the pagans that worship multiple gods and did all manners of evil. And they said that they were outside, but God's love and God's mercy said, but they need me just like everybody else. And because of that, we are here today. So we look at the lives here in this genealogy and we see that God goes outside of the realm where man would even believe was possible. Sometimes we even say in our disgust and our anxiety and our just basically loss of hope that certain people, they ain't going to never be saved. But we don't have the right to say that. We don't have the whole story. We don't know what God has for anybody, no matter how evil they are. Because evil does not overcome God. God overcomes evil. So let us continue that when we get to a point of giving up on somebody, that we go to God in prayer and realize that we don't know the end of that person's story. And that we should still go in faith believing that God is going to snatch them out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Looking at this text, we see that Ruth is also in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now we love Ruth, right? Man, when we read the story of Ruth, it's so poetic and beautiful. And she told uh, Naomi that my God will be your God and, and, and all of this, and we were just loving it. But let's take a minute and look at where Ruth came from. She was a Moabitess. And if we look back on Old Testament history, we'll find out that God also told Israel to destroy them as well. So here's once again those who were outside, who were set up for the wrath of God. Because of his love and kindness and mercy and long-suffering, God looked beyond their faults and saw their need. And he blessed Ruth as a Moabite to become part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But not just in that, but to be held in high esteem. When we read the story of Ruth, I mean, the more by this part doesn't even come into play. We'll read those words and go right by because we love us some Ruth. Amen? Amen? But that's how God works. See, God can take us. When we were out there smoking dope and lying and cheating and stealing and doing all manners of evil, his favor can wash over you. Yes. And people will, when you tell them your testimony, people say, I oh, know you didn't. You made that up. I just can't see you out there doing that. I can't see you stealing and lying and going on. I can't see you smoking dope because of the way we are now. See, God's got that kind of ability. That his favor, when it washes over us, it looks like as if we've never seen. It looks like we've never been out on the street hustling. But that's how God works. Not of our own, but of him. It's his favor in our lives. Amen. And finally, we come in this section of Scripture to King David. We love us some King David, too, Man, King David, when Saul killed his thousands, King David slew his ten thousands. Boy, we love some King David. I mean, King David come out of the fields after battling with uh, bears and lions, trying to take care of them lambs he came out and he went up where all his big brothers were who were supposed to be the warriors and he heard the words of that Philistine and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare to say anything against the army of the Lord? That's our David, ain't it? Boy, we love some David. And so we always get in there and how how David was patient with the man that was cussing at him and throwing rocks at him and he told his servant, leave How David, when he could have killed Saul on multiple occasions, he said, touch not, God's anointed. But David had a rough past. David, David, David wasn't all that good either. David was the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba and had a child. While his servant was out on the battlefield. And he didn't stop there. He set his servant up to be killed on the battlefield to cover up his sin. That's our David. But we love us some David. We, we deal with those things and we read those things. But because of God's favor on David's life, we tend to go to the good things of David. We don't like to dwell there. We like to dwell in the area that he was a man after God's own heart. He was the best king that Israel ever had. Amen. Only because of God's what? Favor. He deserved to die for what he did. But God's favor. Even though God said, because of this, a sword will never leave your home. His own son tried to kill him and dethrone him. One son raped another of his daughters. I mean, just all kind of calamity. All the way to the end of his life. But God's favor on his life. That we still see David as one. Who had the favor of God. Even Jesus Christ himself refers back to the words of David when he deals with the blessedness of imputation of righteousness. He goes back to David when the Pharisees were saying, You're doing work on the Sabbath. He said, Well, what did David do on the Sabbath? God's favor. Your testimonies, when you live for the Lord, even though they are tainted in places, God will use the things of his favor to carry on years beyond the time in which you live. Because that's how his favor works. So here we've seen in the genealogy of Jesus Christ some wonderful nuggets of encouragement and truth about how God takes lemons and makes lemonade. And so now I want to move a little further to chapter 2. Chapter 2, we will find our exposition within the first 12 verses of chapter 2. And what I saw in chapter 2 of Matthew is that with the anointing comes as an object of affliction. In other words, when you are anointed by God, you can expect to be afflicted. Now, every one of us would like to believe that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, he becomes the one who lives in us by the power of the Holy Ghost, that everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Ain't nobody going to talk about us. Ain't nobody going to slander our name. Ain't nobody going to do any of that kind of stuff to us. We're going to treat folk right, but that's not how it works out. The anointing brings affliction. It just does. And so in our text, I bring our attention to the first three verses of chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I saw something really interesting here in this text about affliction being attracted to the anointing. As as God began to, at birth, as Jesus is being born, as God begins to raise him up, Begins to exalt him. Because you know it is God that does the exalting, right? Affliction started to come. Because the word was out that he was the king of the Jews. The word's out on you too. Those of you who are walking for the Lord and doing the good things in the Lord, folks are saying favor is on such and such. You ought to see how such and such talk. You ought to see how they usher. You ought to see how they take care of folks. You ought to see the things they do in their mission. And when that word gets out, the evil one gets busy. Because it troubles him. See, the evil one knows something that sometimes we forget. Jesus Christ made it clear that on this rock he would build His church. And the gates of El would do what? Not prevail against it. That troubles Satan. So when he starts to hear about God's anointed and what they're doing, you, the church, he gets busy. And what we see here is that Herod was upset. First of all, the outside enemy. We know Herod was not a Jew. But Herod was angry when he heard that Jesus was born and was the king, was to be the king of the Jews. Why? Because he wanted to keep what? Control. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Every time he hears of a saint being born again and becoming active and starting to move in the spirit of God and things are starting to happen, he gets on his business because he wants to stay what? In control. The God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness, Lucifer, Satan, yes. son of the morning. All of them, that guy right there wants to stay in control. Yes. But this text allows us to see something else as well. In that same verse, verse 3, it says all of Jerusalem. Your enemies don't just come from outside." In the marketplace where you got the unregenerate, unsane, vehemently speaking folks who are foul-mouthed and don't want to hear nothing about your Jesus. But you also got problems with the ones inside. The ones who are holding names of deacons and preachers and pastors and ushers and leaders. All over You got trouble in that too. That can sing real good and preach real well, but there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they are not about your anointing and about your ministry. When they start to see you working the works that God has sent you to do, then they get on their job to put their mouth on you. Amen. Sometimes you say, I can't believe it. We're trying. I thought we were going the same way. I thought we were working for the same good. But now there are some that are here because they're selfish. Because they're looking to control from within. They see this voluptuous, they see this beautiful church. They see, and I'm talking about the people, not the building. And they see opportunity to take advantage of all what God has given to the church. And so they're in there for selfish reasons. Jesus himself said, I know who the father has given me. And one of them is a devil from the inside. And don't just think that is a first century church and what was going on then. It's the contemporary church as well. So when we look at this text, we see also that they become fake friends. Fake friends. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. Real fake friends right there. Now he didn't have any inkling to worship the Lord. That was not his plan at all. But he played the role as a fake friend. I really want to, I want to worship the Lord. And he's trying to get the wise men to do his dirty work. Amen. Children of God, you got to watch them fake friends. Them fake friends of God will use you to do their dirty work. They'll set you up and they'll say, well, such and such was doing this and doing that. Could you go talk to them and tell them not to do this or do that? You don't even know what the story is. And you might as well turn to them and say, you know what, I'm not going to do your dirty work. If you got off with them, then you go to them yourself. Always causing strife and whispering in your ear. Because you see, he went to them secretly. See, that's how you can tell. They'll be in here and they'll... Outwardly, they will show all kind of holiness and righteousness. But when they get you alone, they'll be secretly talking about your brother or sister, secretly doing things, setting people up, trying to stop them from doing what God has purposed them to do. Them fake friends. So we see also that the tricks of those fake friends will be thwarted. Verse 12. Verse 12, chapter 2, Matthew says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I get happy right in here. Because I know that the Holy Spirit don't let nothing up on us. That he won't first warn us of. See God left the Holy Spirit with us. To comfort and come alongside us. And to assist us. And a lot of times it's keeping them fake friends. From getting you out of pocket. Getting you out of place. So you are out of the will of God. Doing stuff you don't have. No business doing. Or as they're setting up traps and ambushes for you. That the Holy Spirit lets you know before you even get there. So that you can go another way. See, God is like that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I'm so happy that he can thwart the tricks of them fake friends. Amen? Amen. And lastly, we've got one more point to make today. And one more observation that's found in the 19th, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd verse. And that is, no devil can keep you from your destiny. No devil can keep you from your destiny. There are some today that feel like other people have locked them up and locked them out. But if we would just stop for a minute. And marinate on the word of God, knowing that greater is he that is within us than he is in the world. That we have the power to overcome. That nobody can stop you from doing what God has purposed you to do. you got a destiny that's set in the Lord. you got a plan that's set for you. He said we are predestined to what? Good works. That what? We should walk in them. So let us look at our text in verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, see that talks a lot right there. Your outside fake friends, your, your outside enemies, God's got a way of just taking them up and out of here. Now, historians and historic theologians say that Jesus Christ was born in six B.C. And Herod was dead by 4 or 5 B.C. If Herod had known knew that he was going to be out of here so quick, he might have thought a little bit differently. And there's people in the world that's trying to trip you up and destroy you. Because Satan is not just out to hit you in the arm or punch you in the face. He's out to kill you. He is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, he don't don't just, he wants to steal your anointing. He wants to kill your soul, kill your body, and destroy your legacy. I mean, he's not in this for a half-hearted thing. He'll say to you 99 and a half won't do. When he gets after you, he wants 100% tore down. He wants you stolen. He wants you killed. And he wants you destroyed. He's not clean. He's in this all the way. So being that, let us not play with him. Let us get about being 100% about God's word. Because that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need something fat, strong, and sharp to cut off the enemy at his knees. And it comes by the word. Even when Satan was trying to get Jesus to get out of pocket and bow down to him, Jesus kept saying, what? It is written. Because it's the word that does the fight. You can't say to Satan, gone, on. Go on, leave me alone. You better get on over there. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to stomp all up. No. He loves to hear that kind of stuff. Because he knows there ain't one thing but can get him. And that's the word of God. What other weapons we send against him have no effect. Yeah. But the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the God, is effective. It is powerful and is more mighty than any two-edged sword. Man, it can cut between the thoughts and the intentions of a heart. That's an exacting sword. And that's what we got to get about. When we're going to fight in this war, in this battle that we got on this battlefield, in this barren land. And we realize that no devil, because no weapon formed against us shall what? Prosper. No devil in hell or on earth can stop us from our destiny. We see right there, God steps in and says, Harry, it's time for you to go. Jesus didn't have to fight. He didn't have to get up and put on his kicking shoe, his boxing gloves. He didn't have to call out no army. God had it under control. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. So when we look at this text, we see Herod is dead. But then we see Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. God will comfort you when he has defeated your enemy and will allow you to know you just keep on going. I got you. I got your back. I got all of this. I know who to take out of here if necessary for you to get about the destiny that I've set for you. And if you look, it says that Herod is dead and those huh, and all of those who were trying to kill him. See, God is a 100% God, too. He didn't just kill off the head, but he finished the body, too. He finished Satan's head and his body because there was followers of Herod as well that was going to do Herod's bidding. But all of them was dead. Don't count God short against your enemies. No matter how sure-footed they look, no matter how entrenched they are, God can untrench them. God can take a hole and chop them off because he got that kind of power. And God's like that, ain't he? So if it's one or one hundred that you find against you, whether it's kings or princes or presidents, God can handle it. You just give it to the Lord because no devil can stop you from your destiny. Amen. Now watch the Lord. Watch him Watch him here. Look at, look at verse 21 and 22. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came unto the land of Israel. Verse 22 says, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region Of Galilee now we see that Joseph was afraid because Joseph was looking at this thing and saying the fruit don't fall far from the tree so Joseph became afraid to go into Judea right so when we stop here at verse 22 it appears that something has gone wrong. I mean, God has, by an angel, told him to go to Israel. But he's on his way to Judah. Now, there's something that we have to take in consideration here. Judah is in Israel, but Judah is not all of Israel. God told him to go to Israel. But Joseph believed that it was Judea where he was to go. Sometimes when God sends us and we start going, we try to figure out where God may be trying to send us. Right? I mean, God tells us to get on a mission. We start dreaming up how It's going to all turn out, you know, what it's going to look like, what things I need to have, where I'm going to be, how it's going to be dressed, what year it's going to be. You know we do that because we're always trying to see our way through. That's just part of the human condition. We have faith enough to get started, but then we start trying to make out what God's eventual picture is going to be. But I contend here once again that there's no problem at all. The only problem is that Joseph kind of jumped the gun. Not a real bad thing. I mean, he's moving with the Lord, but he just kind of does like we do. We try to figure out where the end's going to be. But then we look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. The scriptures and God had already set forth where his destination was going to be. Even though Joseph, his father, kind of made a misstep when he got to Israel, but he was going by faith. God has the ability to guide you where you need to be. Now, Herod's son looked like a real problem, didn't he? But Herod's son was only being used as a tool to get Joseph to where he was supposed to be. Maybe Joseph missed the scripture that prophesied of Jesus Christ being the Nazarene. And he was on his way to Judah, Judea because, I mean, after all, Judea is the place where the, the tribe of Judah is. I mean, after all, Jesus is what? He is the Lion of Judah. So why not be in Judea, I mean, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, what Joseph was doing makes perfect sense. But that wasn't the will of God. And God says through the Apostle Paul, how unsearchable are the ways of the Lord. But God will put things in our way that look like problems that are only tools to be used to get us to where he wants us to be. Because still no devil will be able to stop us from being to the place where it is our destiny. We're going to get to where we're supposed to be. And God will use anybody and anything, any circumstance, to move us to where we have to be. And that's why it has to be a faith walk and not a sight walk. Because if we start trying to see things and figure it out, we're going to mess it up. Because God is doing something on a scale so much bigger than us that there's no way we'll be able to figure it all out. But we got to just trust the Lord and keep moving in his power and know that he's able to deliver us from whatever we're going through. That we are on the move for the Lord. And one of these days, we're going to reach our destiny. And it won't be never long because you're going to look for me and I'll be gone. Anybody here who does not know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of these days, he's coming back for his people. He died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. He died for you and for me. He died so that those who were outside may be brought in. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he got up with all power in his hand. All power to save. All power to intercede for. All power to be the sacrifice and be the propitiation for all mankind. For the whosoever would believe on him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For the whosoevers that would believe on him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So today, I'm encouraging you saints with these points today. Looking at these scriptures across the first and second chapter of Matthew. That Jesus is in the business of taking us from where we are to where we need to be. As God took Jesus to where he needs to be, so he's taking us. No matter what happens in your life, no matter how things look, God is still working and you have to trust and believe that he's going to get you there. Sometimes we want to give up, but don't quit. Keep believing and trusting and let the battle not be yours, but let it be the Lord's. And at this time, I open the doors of the church. If there's anybody here Who doesn't know this Jesus that I've been so detailed about today. Who doesn't know how they can have a relationship with him. That he can be the one to take them from where they are to where they need to be. I invite you to come and to be in him today. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price of death. The death that we should have gotten the death that we should be punished in the lake of fire and brimstone. But he took on that penalty for us so that you would have an opportunity to come to him freely. It won't cost you nothing. You don't have no quota for how many old ladies you take across the street, how many charities you give to, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There ain't nothing that you can do but believe and when you believe it's all about not what you can do but what Christ can do through you he's willing to save you right now you can come to Jesus just as you are there is plenty good room there is room
1: at the cross for There is room at the cross for you. Oh, millions have come. There is room for.